I'm on a mission. A mission to speak with the most inspiring people from all over the world. I want to know their stories. I want to know what stories they used to tell. And are those the same stories that they're telling today? Or did they redefine that story to overcome limiting beliefs and achieve their dreams? I want to help them share their stories. Why? Because I know the power of the story. I know that it can make or break you. It can give you the world or it can tear it apart. There's always two sides going down in your head and you get to choose. Will I listen to the one that's trying to stop me or the one that keeps pushing? These are their stories and this is the stories we tell. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jamie Messina. And of course, we have another amazing episode for you today. We have Jen Berlingo. She is the author of the best-selling book, Midlife Emergence, Free Your Inner Fire. She is a later-in-life lesbian and um, also a coach, just like myself. So we're going to get into that. But first, if you haven't hit subscribe yet, please go ahead and do that. And if you find value in today's episode or any of the episodes that you hear, go ahead and go over and leave a five-star review. That's going to help me reach my goal of rippling out to at least a million people. You never know who is going to need to hear this episode today. And when you go leave a review, that brings it in front of more people's eyes. And I would appreciate that. Um, so yeah, let's get to it with Jen Berlingo. All right. So I have here with me Jen Berlingo. She is the author of um, the book Midlife Emergence, Free Your Inner Fire. Um, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and uh, what you're all about. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, I'm Jen Berlingo. And um, personally, I am a recently divorced 47-year-old queer mom to a non-binary teenager. I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I live half-time with my kid because my ex and I have you know, co-parenting 50-50. Uh, sometimes with my girlfriend and full-time with my two cats, Jinx and Juju, who may join in the podcast at some point because they love this. Um, professionally, I'm a midlife coach, and I pivoted to a coaching approach during the pandemic um, after having spent about 20 years as a licensed professional counselor and a registered art therapist. Um, I'm also a Reiki master and a visual artist, and um, like you said, the author of the new book, Midlife Emergence, uh, which is a teaching memoir. So that just means that it's um, part memoir, which is about my experience of coming more fully into my queerness later in life. And then also part like personal growth book, uh, where I weave in some didactic information and some, you know, really like engaging prompts um, for the reader. Uh, that I pull from my career as a therapist and coach. So wow. a little about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot going on. Um, yeah. Immediate question on that. So what inspired your transition from, you know, um, therapist to coach? Um, a few different things. I think logistically, well, a couple of logistical things. I had moved before, right before the pandemic from the San Francisco Bay Area to Boulder, Colorado. And um, so I'd stopped seeing my clients there and I got licensed in Colorado. I had been licensed in California. So my practice was paused. Um, and then when the pandemic came, I was already writing my book and researching and working on midlife themes. And I had been working with clients in midlife for even before I was in midlife um, and just all sorts of life transitions. So um, it just seemed like a natural thing to do during um, 
COVID time when most sessions went or all went online and were remote. And so I could see clients all over the world. Um, I have clients in different countries right now, um, as well as different states. Whereas when I'm working as a counselor, um, you can only see people in your state where you're licensed. So that was one piece, but the nature of the work is different. Um, and the type of work I do now uh, lends itself really well to a coaching approach. Um, just in looking forward, like really working with what is lighting someone up and then turning them toward that rather than so much. Um, I mean, of course, people's, you know, um, early childhood comes up and trauma comes up and I do have the training to hold that. And um, it's just a different, you know, way of working. So I've just been really enjoying that and enjoying the um, way I can bring myself to it more personally. I don't know that I would have written a memoir as a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> that feels like it could be a little TMI. Yeah. Uh, for clients. I when people ask me the difference between a therapist and a coach. I, I usually say, you know, in therapy you focus a lot on your past, whereas in coaching yeah. you kind of focus on the future. And I'd mm -hmm. say a little bit of both, but you know, depending on what yeah. your background is. Cool. Do you want to share? So a lot of our listeners, which I'm sure you know, I feel like how, how did you we connected through Club Lilies or no? Yes, through Club Lilies, which I'm so grateful for. Like those, like that group and others like it are just such lifesavers, I think, for people coming out later in life and not feeling so alone. So yeah, yeah um, I first found you there and I've listened to your podcasts. And When yeah, did you come really, out? Um, my whole life. Uh, it's a process of coming out over and over again, especially, I think, as a queer femme person. But um I think to answer your question, I've always known I was queer. Um, even when I was younger, I had crushes on friends and I just didn't know because I had no frame of reference for that and no context for queer relationships. Um, you know, I was born in 75 in the Southeast. Um, so I was growing up in the 80s and 90s and it's like, um, you know, it was a pretty homophobic and conservative environment where I grew up and so the things I knew about gay people were more around slurs and things that weren't, um, yeah, I just didn't have access to that. So I didn't know, even though I knew those feelings in myself, I remember having a crush on Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss like when I was little, right? So I was like, I know I feel these things, but I don't even know that that life is a possible life. And so um, the compulsory heterosexuality just was pretty rampant, I think, at that point that time and place where I grew up and so I didn't really um honor that in myself and I dated boys and men and you know people ask like oh do you have a little boyfriend even when you're really little it's just such a um habit I think of heteronormativity and I succumbed to that in a way um and I started to tell friends I think when I was in college that I was also attracted to women um even though I was dating a dude and then um, at one point after the breakup of a pretty long-term relationship, I was like, okay, I'm going to date women. And I moved to New York and um, this guy that I was working with, you know, he and I would go out after work and I was like, okay, I'm looking for a girlfriend now. Like this is, that was in like 1999. Um, four months later, we started dating. And three years after that, we were married and I was married to him for well, we were together 21 years, married 17 of them. <laughs> so anyway, that girlfriend search did not quite work out, but it's literally the first thing he knew about me. And 
Uh, he's like, yeah, everyone I've dated by so no problem like it just anyway so that happened um and I feel like I came out um repeatedly to my family or to my mom I'll say not my whole family but I remember telling her while I was dating Craig who's my ex um you know that I'm attracted to women and she's like oh good thing you have Craig and it was just sort of this like dismissive thing I'm like okay no this is real um and it didn't really become something I um you know, I, I, when I was married was like, okay, I'm not acting on this until it became so loud that I couldn't ignore it. And that's actually what I write about in the first chapter of my book, like that moment where I felt like something in my inner walls sort of cracked open and this lava sort of poured forth that was like, okay, I, there's an urgency to this. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what to do about it, but I know I have to, you know, not only admitting it to myself that that was happening, but I needed to tell Craig and like to start um, figuring out what to do. I was 41 when that all began to come forward. Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. Was he surprised? No, <laughs> I mean, he'd always known, right? So he's like, oh, I was wondering when this would, you know, become more of a, it hadn't been a problem really until it was. Um, and we, um, you know, sat on the couch and talked really honestly about like, what, what is it we could do so that I could experience this part of myself and to explore that. And he had always been open to that. And so, um, you know, in an attempt to sort of have it all, we were like, I mean, we had a really great marriage. We're best friends. We're still best friends. Um, we have a 16 year old. He lives five minutes down the street right now, you know? Um, and but we were like, okay, like we work so well together. We're in this wonderful relationship, but maybe we can open up the marriage so that I can explore that and um, feel into that experience. So we read all the books, um, you know, opening up ethical slut, like we read all of the, um, the you know, ethical non-monogamy polyamory books. We uh, started to work with a therapist who specializes in that um, once we moved to Boulder and um, she actually wrote the book. Um, what is it? It's called um, Polly Wise. Is that her new book? Um, yeah, Jessica Fern. Anyway, she's awesome. Um, yeah, we worked with a therapist for a while on that, and we took it really slowly. It wasn't like one of those things where it was like, oh, let's open a relationship, and then I got on a dating app the next day. It was like a years-long process mm -hmm. that I talk about in detail um, in the book. And um, yeah, part of that was due to the fact that my crush at the time slash catalyst in a way was my best friend who was not available so nothing was happening there but all my feelings were happening there right so it, that slowed down the actual like something you know physically happening in the um but all of the like psychological pieces and the emotional pieces and the parts that we needed to be addressing as a uh, in our marriage were there so anyway that was um yeah a longer process and then I eventually um, started dating the woman that I'm still with now. We've been together almost four years and um, there was, you know, some overlap there, but while we were um, experimenting with that relationship and seeing how that could work, um, it became really clear to both of us that open marriage wasn't what we wanted our 
relationship to look like. We're like, we're, our family needs to take a new shape because it's very obvious that um, I'm a lesbian. I'm not bisexual. That all of my romantic and sexual energy was going toward her and had been going toward women in general for so long that um, we're, you know, just really good friends and love each other like family. But yeah, so we started the steps towards separation and eventually got a divorce. So, wow, that was like a life story in a <laughs> tiny okay. capsule nugget. <laughs> Woo! Well, so I love that you just shared that. I, I personally have a lot of clients or a lot of people who come to me who are in your situation, but maybe their husband never knew you know, that they had been attracted. So it was probably, you know, you already had that ground work done. Like that's the, the, you know, you, you started your friendship based on you going to find a girlfriend. So he always had that in his mind, but where, you know, they're trying to explore, you know, within club lilies, there are a lot of women who are still married and they're trying to explore, you know, what is possible for our relationship? Can I keep this? Or what does that look like? Um, Do you work? So the clients that you work with are, are many of them going through a similar situation? Yes, um, both. I think that, um, I mean, like me, most of my clients are what I call like recovering good girls or recovering people pleasers. They've come, they've done all the right the right things, you know, the, the social expectations that have been put on them. And they have like a lot of what they should want for their life, um, which is where I found myself, but still feeling unsatisfied. A lot of people are like, you know, have everything on paper, but something's missing. I don't know what that is. Um, And so I work with women mostly who are in midlife and I feel like there is this, well, I know developmentally and psychology, there is this pull in midlife to individuate from like, it's a second individuation or separation process. The first one's as a teenager from your parents. Um, And then in midlife, it's like separating from um, social and cultural norms that, you know, have been put upon you, different roles and costumes and hats that you're wearing. And you're like, no, what is the true alignment to self here and how to find that and how to find that when the stakes are high, because you've already settled into, you know, marriage, career, mortgages, kids, maybe. um, And it's really hard to find like role models and cheerleaders for helping us to unfurl into more expansive ways of being. So a lot of my clients are tempted when they come to me to stay in these safe, stagnant sort of homeostasis because there's security there. And it's really difficult to rock the boat and um, rock everyone else's boat around you. When you do that, there's that idea of like, I won't be good because I will be, you know, disrupting my kids or disrupting, you know, my husband's life or um, and a lot of the women that I work with are um, ones who are exploring their sexuality later in life or who are questioning the compulsory, you know, heterosexuality that they've been acting under. Um, and other clients aren't. Some are, you know, facing other types of um, roles that they kind of want to bust out of, whether that's, you know, how they're parenting or where they're living or what their career is or, you know, different pieces. So um, while my book, Midlife Emergence, is about what I was facing in midlife and um, really reckoning with my sexuality and living it more visibly. Um, it isn't always, you know, it's not just about that. I um, had a lot of readers and clients, you know, come and say like, yeah, that's my specific story, but all of the pieces that I work in through their, their 13 themes in the book um, and each one has different prompts at the end for journaling and for art and creative, like, 
personal ritual and ceremony and different pieces that I do in my work. Um, and they apply across the board to, you know, various things that we might be wanting to re-examine from the first half of life and then like re-author in a new way for the second half. Yeah. I love that. So you sparked so many ideas in, in my mind right there. Just the four agreements is one of my favorite books. You know, I, re mm. I read it, I think already this year, like four times on TikTok every morning, I'll go on and I'll read it. And the idea of um, domestication of humans and how, yeah. you know, you just said, you know, in our second, you know, separation or in, in our midlife where we're kind of just like, whoa, like, what is all this stuff I've been living that was projected onto me? What is mine? Right. What is isn't mine? Um, and so many people realizing when they get to that age range that, you know, I don't know that this is truly who I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I know there's probably not just two types of people, but in my mind for, for the simplicity of this, two types of people, there's the kind, oh, by the way, my cat's coming up now. So. <laughs> oh, cool. My mind as well. <laughs> oh, um, cutie. So there is, uh, you know, like the, I'm just going to ignore all these things and, and, really just not feel good within myself and just to be depressed in, in midlife and just continue because this is my life. This is the way it should be. This is what I was mm -hmm. told and anything. And then there's the other people who are like, yeah, no, let's challenge the fuck out of this. Like, um, <laughs> what yep. to people who are kind of have one toe dipped into this really wanting to explore who they truly are, but are like the other foot is kind of cemented into this, Hey, this is the way you should be and what's been projected onto them their entire lives. Yeah. I mean, that's really the crux of what I'm working with um, in my clients and in myself a lot. And I see it sort of as this continuum. I think I write about it as a tightrope with a metaphor of like having what's safe and familiar on one side. And then on the other side um, is like what is alluring and novel and new and like growth producing and what will have us evolve. And um Eric Erickson, who was a psychologist in the 50s, said that in midlife, we face the dilemma of stagnation versus generativity. And it's the period where, you know, we reevaluate and make sure we're making the impact that we want to make. And for me, um, I was so allergic to this idea of stagnation. When I started to feel those feelings, I was like, no, I want to break all the patterns. And I, you know, like anything that felt like protection or safety to me, it was a little bit dangerously almost like an adolescent I felt like I want to blow that shit up like no but that is not everyone's experience and I work with a lot of people who um who feel like okay just dip a toe in or maybe I can you know I had this thought but I don't think I could ever act on it is it safe to think it and dream it and do that so I work with people in a way that's not so much about blowing it up um I mean my book I'm not necessarily the you know hero in my book either it's like um, I more emphasize like a slow burn, like really acknowledging to oneself what it, what, what is true in there versus what you've, what's been put upon you. And then starting to do a very slow process of like putting words to that, admitting that to yourself, um, admitting that to one safe person. And in a lot of uh, clients cases, that's me, but it can also be a primary, um, relationship in their life. One of my cats, Jinx, is going to probably join us now. Um, <laughs> that lazy night. <laughs> uh -huh. um, yeah, and I mean, the familiarity is really nice to lean into and rest in. And, you know, um, I'm on the other side of a divorce now where a lot of that stability is gone in the way that it was. And I'm having to build it anew for myself, um, which is hard. I mean, just 
honestly, like, you know, career wise and all of that, like the way that everything was on paper was like, oh, this is all going to work out and be great. And now it's like, okay, I um, have to find different strengths in myself and it's totally doable. Um, so I think that, I mean, even the way that, I don't know, I think I felt like I was um, blowing stuff up and burning, but as I described before, it was such a slow process that I was also going through it really mindfully and consciously and alongside um, Craig, my ex-husband. So um yeah, I think it's just, a, it's a process of baby steps and all the baby steps are actually huge steps. Um, I have a friend who's going through something similar right now and she's not a client. She's a good friend. This is Jinx, by the way, also a good friend. Um, and yeah, she said it really well. Um, we were talking the other day. She's like, it feels like I've, I swam out into the middle of the ocean and I can't see where I came from and I can't see where I'm going, but what do I do? Just swim back or Right. keep swimming and hope there's another shore on the other side. It's like that feeling, but she's like, I, I can't just turn around. It's like not accessible fully anymore. That will still be new if I went back. So um, yeah, just working with that balance. Yeah. I feel like there's kind of like a misconception that the safety of staying in the same spot is actually safe. Like in mm -hmm. LeBron, to my attention was definitely COVID in 2020, where so many people were like, I had been on my own journey of coaching and doing an, uh, a non, like a job that, you know, I'm not in corporate. I, it's not guaranteed. I wasn't right. playing it safe, you know, up to everybody else's standards when, okay, well, all it took was, you know, COVID to come around and nobody was safe. So like, right. what is safety at the end of the day? Yeah. That's what I've been working with as well. And myself and the fact that I think that we have so many lifetimes to live inside of a lifetime and like you can go, you know, down one path or another path. And we always think about the paths not taken, but honestly, we're going to be okay on whatever path that is. I mean, even if it feels scary and it looks mysterious and we're, you know, moving toward like something we can't see what's on the other side of it. Um, I don't know, as long as we're staying with ourselves and staying honest with ourselves, I think that any of them could be okay if we're acting in truth, if we can access truth and live it, um, which is hard. I mean, that's, you know, it's easier said than done because um, a lot of times, especially people who are raised as women and or girls, um, we were raised not to disappoint others and to disappoint ourselves before disappointing others. And that's really something I see across the board. Um, and I have felt too, and I feel like it does a disservice, not only to ourselves, but to the people we love to continue that pattern because it's, um, you know, ultimately you're not, you're not being yourself and you're not modeling. Like for me, it was like, I want to model living my truth and I want to model a relationship that I would want my child to also see and witness and be part of and to want for themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I just feel like I want to stand for that more than the making other people feel comfortable, you know, um, and just disregarding my own comfort to do that. So, yeah. And yeah. we told you to disrupt that pattern to make a lasting change in society, which I do feel is happening. You know, I have yeah. some younger friends like in their 20s where I feel like we've lived completely different lives. Like, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're um they're not as bound to pleasing others, uh, you know, yeah. 
as we were. And so I love that. I love that that is changing and shifting. But the reason why is because of the people before them who have been disrupting that pattern and um, not complying with, you know, hey, let's make everybody else happy regardless of if, if we are or not. Yeah, totally. I have so much um, hope. And like my my kid gives me faith. Um, they're 16 and non-binary, like I said, and like, they just had this ring, they were on vacation with their dad, and they just had a ring engraved um, with the word inconvenient, which I was like, that's brilliant. And they're like, yeah, I feel like me being who I am is probably inconvenient to a lot of people. And so what I'm gonna keep doing that like that's and I it feels like, um, yeah, I feel like sometimes the truth is wildly inconvenient for other people. But it just expands our view of like what's normal and it validates, um, I think things that are um, going against social conditioning. It, it validates those like glimmers in the back of other people's minds, maybe that they might feel shame for to say like, you know, okay, me too, or I'm doing this out loud and I'm doing this visibly. Um, and I see less and less of that, like you said, in like the younger generations than what um, people in my generation, you know, like in Gen X were doing to, not rock the boat. Um, I have this quote in my book by uh, Bethany Webster uh, that says, for daughters growing up in a patriarchal culture, there's a sense of having to choose between being empowered and being loved. And I feel like, um, I don't know, I just so relate to that because we as kids don't really have a lot of agency. So we're like trying not to make things uncomfortable for our caregivers or our parents and just like survive. Like that's a survival mechanism. And as a grown person we don't have to do that anymore and that's such a beautiful realization to be like okay I don't have to choose between that belonging and that um empowerment you know like I can be and you know I can be loved and I can be in my power and be um congruent on the inside and on the outside yeah you don't have to choose anymore. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so ingrained and so deep in, in so many of us that we do, you know, our brain is mm -hmm. just following that same pattern. And until you might, maybe somebody hears you say that and then they're like, I don't. And then they go and do that. They, they might be continuing to choose between being empowered yeah. and being loved and um, how sad that is, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think that we ought, we have this... Um, I mean, a lot of women who dare to live like any sort of unconventional life have this persecution fear, um, like, you know, which is being brought to the center of town and burned at the stake kind of feeling of like, I'm doing something subversive, and it's not going to be socially like accepted. Um, and I, I do think that that wound is in us like intergenerationally. And I've seen so much overturning of that um, in the women that I work with. And even just as a social sort of movement, you know, you can see it in, um, on social media. Like it just feels like there's this uprising of that. And I feel, um, yeah, that, that makes me hopeful. And I'm hoping that so much of this can, can shift. I mean, yeah, a lot of the gendered stuff around what I'm saying too, I'm aware of and hoping, wishing that that weren't also like language we even needed to use <laughs> anymore, but we do. So I'm looking at some of your your quotes or you're known for saying um, oh, yeah, sure. and one really stuck out to me that I love is um, the freedom we are seeking is on the other side of the conversations we are avoiding. What inspired yeah. that or is there something specific or are there, you know, several things? Yeah, several things. I think um, like I was talking about before with the ways of, um, gosh, the baby steps toward 
going toward what is growth producing and what is alluring and novel. Um, for me, it involved a series of conversations and just different degrees of visibility um, for my own truth, like in my personal story. So, um, you know, one was the conversation I needed to have with Craig as soon as I admitted to myself that I needed to act on this desire. Um, and then telling my friend and then telling other friends. Um, but I think the bigger one that I was thinking about when I wrote that um, was around talking with my family of origin and my mom, um, because uh, that felt like one that I kept putting on. It seemed like the final frontier. It was like I could, I was doing all of this work. Craig and I were doing all of like therapy and all of these things behind the scenes. And, um, and it was not something I was discussing with my family because I felt like I wanted to be sure. And um, I don't know. And in a way I, that was keeping me not as free and um, being in it, that, that piece of invisibility was still there. And so uh, I felt like once I was able to have uh, the difficult conversation with my mom, um, even though it wasn't a hundred percent awesome, it was like just this like final frontier of freedom for me. I was like, okay. And I think freedom is just something that I've been seeking more and more of, which is why the um, subtitle of the book is free your inner fire. Cause it did feel like this burning in me that was, unseen and just like under the skin, but I wanted it to be, um, you know, more, more visible and more out in the world. And for me to not feel like caged in some way. Um, and for others not to feel that because there's shame, you know, tied to that. And I don't think shame can exist in the light. So, um, yeah, I have this quote that's here by my desk that I had beside me the whole time I was writing by Lizzie Rusinko. And it says the story you're ashamed to tell is the one that will set you free. Mm. And I swear I read that over and over again as I was writing. So I was like, can I really write this down? Am I really going to publish this? Am I really going to write this down? You know, because it's a pretty revealing and vulnerable um, book. But I felt like if it's true freedom that I'm seeking, I, um, yeah, I do need to do that for myself and for other people who will be inspired to, you know, maybe see a little bit of themselves in my story in some way or another and to tell themselves their own truth. Um, yeah, there's liberation there. And so many people who probably do see themselves in, in your story, as we saw what happened in 2020 with, I don't know, TikTok, Untamed. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> perfect storm of lesbian, I don't know, TikTok or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so many people probably totally can relate. Um, so usually we have a little bit of time left and then we're going to go to the after dark. Normally right now, oh, cool. you, what you would say to your younger self, but I'm going to ask you a different question than what okay. I would ask. Um, what would you say to the people out there who do relate to you, but they are not in where you are currently? They're in the spot. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we talked a little bit about that, but they're in the spot where they don't know they have this fire that's burning within, but mm -hmm. they are scared shitless to let that to let that out or to let it burn, um, what would you say to them? I would say to explore it, like I said, in a, in a way that feels slower and safer, because it's like, if they have a penchant toward that safety security, they're going to need to do it in a way that's not going to completely rock their nervous system. So staying with the comforts that they know, but then finding a trusted source, like a coach, like a therapist, like their journal, um, 
like the one best friend that you know that you can tell all your stuff to, you know, whatever that outlet is, there needs to be an outlet, like some sort of air hole, right, for to diffuse that energy to get that expressed, because literally express means to press out. And it's like to express that from the system, from the body, from the psyche, so that it can start to breathe. And I think that once we see something externalized, whether it's on paper, like on a, in a journal page, or I'm an art therapist, so also seeing it, you know, in art, um, or hearing ourselves say it out loud to a, a therapist, it's like, we can relate to it then in a different way as like this third entity in the room. You're like, oh, that's that over there. Okay, let me try that on. Am I really feeling that? And it's just a way of like, I think, just finding that would just be a first step, like finding a one safe externalization, um, you know, method that that would work while still feeling and, you know, like you're caring for yourself and having the comforts that you're needing around you in going through that, because it can be a pretty um, drastic, you know, bandaid to rip off if you do it too quickly. Um, right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. First, how can they, uh, find your book and find, I, which I also am going to put into the show notes. So if, if, you know, if you don't have a pen right now, that's okay, but tell them how they, they can find your book and um, follow along with you. Sure. Uh, my website is just my name. It's Jen Berlingo, J E N B E R L I N G O.com. And that's the hub for all the things you can find there. Um, the link to my book, Midlife Emergence is um, on there, but it's also available anywhere online where you buy books. You can also ask your local bookstore, um, to order it. Um, it's on Amazon in three formats, um, paperback, the ebook and audiobook. Um, I recorded that myself. Um, and yeah, there are ways to connect with me on there for one-to-one -one coaching. And also I have a group guidance, like a midlife emergence group guidance program coming up this fall. And I have um, other online courses that are always available uh, that you can start any time and do at your pace. Um, one of them that I just launched in June uh, during Pride is called Queer Emergence, and it's for people who are queer and questioning um, later in life. And it's, um, yeah, it's just five modules. It's very doable and sort of self-paced way of going into some of these sorts of questions. Um, I have a few other ones on there as well. So yeah, all that's on my website. I hang out on social media, mostly Instagram. Um, my handle there is my name, Jen Berlingo. Um, and yeah, all the other stuff you can find on my website, like I said. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing today. And um, I look forward to uh, going over to the after dark, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, good. All right. Well, yeah. thanks, guys. Okay, cool. Thanks, Jamie. That was Jen Berlingo. I will have all the information in the show notes on how you can follow along with Jen, see what she's up to, check out her new book, all the good things. Until next time.